Good morning. Uh, for those of you joining us online, lovely to have you here with us this morning. If you're watching this later in the week, thanks for taking some time out to uh, spend some time here in church with us today. Great having you here. As Chris said, we are actually, it's the final week, but it's week 10. We've hit double digits. This is like a, a full Netflix series now. It's gone that long, but it's been a great subject. And uh, don't blame me, blame James. He just had so much good stuff to talk about that we just kept finding new great content from a letter written by a man named James 2,000 years ago to a church that was scattered across the New Testament world because of persecution from the Romans. And yet, here we find ourselves 2,000 years later, scattered somewhat in the sense that COVID-19 has caused us to, uh, some of us to watch online, some to be here in person, but church looks a little bit different than it did a year ago. And the teaching of James 2,000 years ago, we've learned over the last nine weeks, we're going to learn again this morning, is as relevant today as it was back then. In fact, it's been amazing. Some of the weeks we've been teaching from the letter of James, it's almost like he wrote knowing what we would be facing in 2020. He knew some of the things that, because it's been so relevant to what we're going through today. So we're going to wrap up the series this morning with a, a wonderful subject. And uh, just to kind of lead into that, I wonder if any of you had nicknames growing up. I won't make you shout them out. Shout them out. Maybe they were flattering nicknames. Maybe they weren't so flattering uh, of a nickname. But I did a little bit of research this week, uh, and I came across some, some different athletes who became known more by their nickname than their real name. I'm going to test you to see your sports uh, knowledge here this morning. So I'm going to give you some nicknames. You can shout it out if you're watching online this morning. You can type your answer in the comments and our online host will give you a virtual high five if you get it right. So uh, we'll start with a, an easy one this morning. This particular gentleman uh, often was known as his airness or just air. Michael Jordan, you got it right. Okay, that was his nickname, Michael Air Jordan. So that was an easy one to start off with right there. Uh, next one's kind of easy as well. Who's this guy? He's known by his nickname, Magic. Magic Johnson. Real name was Irvin Johnson, and I learned this week that as a 15-year-old sophomore, he recorded a triple-double of 36 points, 18 rebounds, and 16 assists. I have no idea what I just said, but apparently those stats were magical, and at that point, he became known from then on as Magic Johnson. Hopefully you basketball players out there knew exactly what I just said. That no, meant nothing to me. Um, the fridge, or the refrigerator. William Perry, yes, I believe he was a Chicago player, so that's uh, uh, an easy one for some of you Bears fans out there this morning. Uh, I, I, I said I started that easy. I'm getting the impression now that even though these were all hard for me, these are all super easy for all of you. Um, prime time. Yes, well done. Deion Sanders was known as Primetime. And now uh, this particular guy, he was so good that he had many nicknames. He was known as the Great Bambino, the Sultan of Swats, the Colossus of Clouts, and most famously simply just the Babe. Yes, well done. It was actually George Herman Ruth, uh, which I just learned this week was his name. I just figured it was Babe Ruth, but that was his nickname. His real name was George Herman Ruth. 
It's amazing. I came across some not-so-flattering nicknames as well of athletes. I found out there was a guy called The Worm, Crazy Legs, The Splendid Splinter, and Mordecai Three Fingers Brown, who, uh, if you're a Cubs fan this morning, you'll remember watching him play. He played for the Cubs between 1904 and 1912. And uh, his nickname, Three Fingers, was because he was also a farmer and uh, he mangled his hand in a farmer machine, lost one of his fingers, mangled the others, but it actually improved his throw. His, his hand was so uniquely shaped and mangled that he could throw a spin that no one else could throw. So he became known as uh, Three Fingers Brown. So... Um, some flattering, not so flattering. Uh, there's a guy I want to talk about this morning. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. I know, sounds awful, doesn't it? Well, this particular guy, uh, we, we know about from the Bible. Now, his, his nickname doesn't crop up in the Bible itself, but church historians have found documents and, and historical documents from the time that referred to this guy as Old Camel Knees. That was the nickname that he's kind of taken on. And it was none other than our friend James. It's taken us 10 weeks, but we couldn't close out this series without acknowledging that James, in the day, actually had the nickname Old Camel Knees. Now, one would think that was a little bit of an unflattering uh, nickname. Maybe he has some really rough-looking knees, but the reality is the reason he earns that nickname is because he spent so much time praying. He spent so much time on his knees in prayer that it is said that his knees got so rough and callous that they took on the appearance of the knees of a camel. So rather than being a derogatory phrase about the state of his weird-looking knees, it was actually um, an, an accolade. It was actually something that, that was well thought of because this was a man of prayer. Can you imagine if, if, if that was your nickname and it was because people knew that you just were so passionate and so committed to praying on a regular basis? I think if people saw him come and said, hey, there's that guy who just prays so much. I think Camel Knees would be a good nickname to earn. So not only do we know that James was a man of prayer, we're going to learn this morning that he actually spoke about prayer. And we're going to learn about prayer this morning. So in James chapter 5, the last um, chapter in the book of James, verses 13 through 18, he says this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, because such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then James, knowing that he's writing to a, a Jewish audience, reminds them of a person that they would have all been familiar with, who was such a great testament to the power of prayer. He says in verse 17, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain 
and the earth began to yield its crops. So in just a short section here, four or five verses, James really unpacks the idea of prayer. And isn't it great to know that as we read these verses, these verses have been written by a man who was known for his commitment to prayer. His knees were a mess because he spent so long on them praying. So I love in this little passage here, he just kind of highlights some some really uh, simple attributes of prayer, some, some aspects of what it looks like to pray. He starts out, doesn't he, by talking about asking. One of the parts of prayer is it's an opportunity for us to ask God. Verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. The truth is that for many of us here this morning, that's the, the first prayer that many of us are afraid. It's the main prayer that some of us are afraid. It's the prayer that we pray the most. It's a prayer of asking God, God, would you help me please in this situation? It could be sickness, loss of a job, relational issues, a global pandemic. Whatever it may be, there are things, aren't there, that drive us to our knees to ask God for help. I learned this week that there was a survey taken in the UK, where I'm from. Uh, earlier this year, it found that 24% of 18 to 24-year-olds are praying more than usual since COVID began. They interviewed young people, 18 to 24-year-olds. One in four said that they are praying more since COVID had begun. I think they're probably asking God, God, help me. Take away my fear. Keep me safe. James encourages us to pray this way. Another way that James encourages us to pray is by thanking. By thanking. I love this. He carries on in verse 13, doesn't he? And he says, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. That's a great question for us this morning. Any of you happy? We should sing praises. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you're new in your faith, this is kind of a new, and and you're one of these folks that's still kind of unsure, I'm not really sure how to pray or or the best way to pray, this is a great place to start. Learning what it looks like just to thank God for the good things in our life. Because we can get caught up in the asking because there's so many things we need to ask for. But sometimes if we just push pause and look at our lives, before long we can actually start to find a lot of things that we can truly be thankful for. There's an author by the name of Brene Brown and and she really kind of nails this whole subject of gratitude. And I came across this quote from her this week. It said, a good life happens when you stop and are grateful for the ordinary moments that so many of us just steamroll over to try to find those extra ordinary moments. Rather than than fighting to find the extra ordinary moments, there's a lot of ordinary moments that we can just say thank you to God for in our lives. The next thing that James kind of brings up here is the idea of corporate prayer or the, the church's role in prayer. He says in verse 14, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. 
in our seven years of being a church here in Washington, many, many times we've had folks who are battling sick lists, who have had a, a long-term ailment that they're trying to work through, and, and they've come to us as leaders of the church, and, and we've gathered some of the leaders and the elders, the, 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 the leadership of the church, and we've prayed specifically for these people, praying with the faith and the belief that God can still heal today, that God can still work miracles today. I want to remind you, if you didn't know this morning, if you're watching online, there's an option right now online that you can just hit a button to ask for prayer. If you're here in person, we have a, a spot on the website. It's on our homepage, connectwashington.org. You just scroll down right there. There's a button you can click that says pray. And when you fill out that info, that comes straight to us. It comes straight to a, a group of people in the church who are committed to praying on a regular basis. And those folks will pray for you. Whatever your need is, we feel that responsibility as your church, as your home church, to be willing to be praying for you. And, and maybe in the comments you'll say, hey, is there a chance I could meet in person? I'd love for the leadership to pray for me in this particular area. Because as James points out, there is a role for that kind of corporate prayer in the body of Christ. But then I love the next verse because he, he also brings it a little bit smaller and that he talks about community prayer. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When I read that, I picture that on a smaller scale. A smaller group of people coming together, praying together, sharing with one another what's going on in their lives, their struggles, and then gathering together to pray. Tonight, Casey and I will be meeting in our small group. We're a part of a small group here at Connect. We love it. We, we join with four other families and we get to eat together. We get to watch videos, learn more about the Bible. And, uh, but the greatest thing about this, this small group that gathers together on a regular basis is that we get to kind of share life together. We confess our struggles. We share what's going on. And then we pray for one another. I love that I get to pray with these friends I've got. I love knowing that they're praying for us. And if you're not a part of a smaller group here, whether it's serving on a team or a, a connect group, I'd love to encourage you to do that because there's just this, this beauty of being part of a smaller community, knowing that you've got that support and that encouragement and that prayer from other people. So what can we learn this morning from James? about prayer. Obviously, prayer is a great thing, but how do we apply this this morning in our lives? Because what I've learned in all my years of following Jesus is that I'll meet people sometimes who are brand new in their relationship with God. Maybe they've not even yet made that step to ask Jesus to be the Lord of their lives, but one of the questions they have is, I'm just not sure how to pray, or I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. I'm not sure if I'm praying the right things. If my... But then I'll meet people who have been following Jesus for many years, and they too will say, you know, I'm still not sure if I'm praying the best way. I'm still not sure if I'm praying right. So I want us to kind of look this morning with James kind of setting us up with this subject of prayer at, at whether or not we are praying right. What the correct way is to pray these prayers. Because you see, prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's something that, you know, it, for some of us, it doesn't come naturally to do. We have to push pause in our busy lives to, to spend time praying. 
It's a bit like physical discipline. Some of you, you know, you've made that decision to, to get fit, to get in shape, so you've joined a gym. But you know, don't you, that just joining a gym won't get you in shape. Because what if you joined the gym and you were doing it wrong? You see, that actually does happen. And I've got a video to prove it. Check this out. Now, if you're a member of a gym this morning, well done, good on you. And I don't know that there is anything that's bad exercise, but I don't know. Watching that video, there could be. I'm not sure if they completely grasped how some of those machines could work. And that is just a small selection of some of the videos that are out there. But what if we're like that, striving to pray, but we're missing some of the details, some of the truth of what prayer is really like? So that's what I want to just kind of um, finish off with this morning. And by doing that, I want to go back to um, a time in the Gospels where Jesus talks about praying because his disciples, actually his followers, they said to him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They'd seen him go off to pray and they said, we want to learn how to pray properly. We don't want to do it wrong. We want to do it right. So show us how we should be praying. And you'll remember um, his response because it's a very famous prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It goes like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I'm sure many of you are familiar with this particular prayer. We know it as the Lord's Prayer and, and here's a great picture of the Lord's Prayer. But here's something I wanted to point out that I kind of figured out this week as I was looking at this idea of prayer. Let's look at it again. So the main thing that jumps out to me is we are like halfway through the prayer before the first request is made. You can see it right there. Give us this day our daily bread. That's like the second half of the prayer. The first half is all focusing on God. You see, James wasn't wrong in teaching us how to pray. These are the things that James was talking about when we ask and we thank and that kind of thing. But I think Jesus was trying to teach us when it comes to prayer that first and foremost, the goal of prayer is just to spend time connecting with God. That's the purpose of prayer. It's a relationship. God loves you and me so much and he loves spending time with us. And we get so busy sometimes, don't we? And then when it comes time to pray, we kind of rush in. Okay, God, here's what I need. And then whoop, we're out again. 
And actually, Jesus is kind of pointing out here that the purpose of prayer is relational. Because look at the first half of that prayer. It starts out by acknowledging our relationship with him. Our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. We, we spend time acknowledging his, that means holy. Holy is your name, your, your holiness. You're amazing. You're such a wonderful God. We want your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we're acknowledging God. We believe that you've got a plan. We want to partner with you in that plan. We don't want to come to you and say, God, here's my plan. Make it happen. It's, it's your kingdom come. Your will be done. These are all relational things that we get to say to God. So before we jump into our shopping list of requests, I think a big part of prayer is submitting to God, acknowledging who He is, and submitting to His authority in our lives. There's an author and a pastor by the name of Tim Keller, and he wrote a great book on prayer. And he pointed out this. He was, he was talking about the prayers that Paul prayed. So Paul was a guy in the New Testament. He wrote a large portion of the letters in the New Testament. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. Then he had this incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, changed his life. He went to become one of the greatest uh, evangelists and Christians in the New Testament. And Keller looks at the prayers that Paul prays throughout his life. And he says this. It's remarkable that in all of his writings... Paul's prayer for his friends contained no appeals for changes in their circumstances. In all of Paul's writings, we never find appeals for, for Paul to say, God, change these circumstances. Which we can pray quite a lot. And I think Keller explains that, that Paul sees that a fuller knowledge of God is more critical than a change in circumstances. When Paul is praying, his primary prayer isn't change what they're going through. It's allow what they're going through to help them grow closer to God. Because ultimately, prayer is about our relationship with God. Growing closer to God, learning more about who He is. Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to ask God for help because James gives us a whole teaching on when you're sick, ask for prayer from the church. When you need help, ask God. So, so the rest of the prayer is focused on that. And actually, when Jesus teaches us to pray, the rest of his prayer is focused on that. Provide for me. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made. Help me to forgive others. Keep me safe, Lord. Protect me from the temptations. Deliver me from the, the evil one and the traps that I so often get caught up in. Lord, I need all your help in that. But that's, that's the second part of the prayer. The first part of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray was just spending time just acknowledging, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. I love you. You're, you're, you're holy. You're my Father. You see, I think as we get to know God more, it actually helps us to pray more effectively. Because it's a relationship. Like I said, we're not rushing in. God, I'm going to need this, 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 and I'll need it all by Friday. Thanks. <laughs> and you're out of there. As you spend more time building this relationship with God, it changes the way you pray. Listen to this quote from Keller's book. God will either give us what we ask or he'll give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Isn't that amazing? God will either give us what we ask when we pray or he'll give us what we would have asked if 
if we were God and we understood all things. That's so powerful. It just creates that, that attitude of our hearts to say, God, when I pray, I don't want to pray assuming that I know everything. I want to pray, God, that I, I, I'm going to ask for these things, but I'm also going to acknowledge that you are incredible and you know best. And there may be a reason that the answers I'm expecting aren't the answers I get because I trust that you are an amazing God. When we understand that the purpose of prayer is a relationship with God, we'll actually realize that no prayer is the wrong prayer. No prayer is the wrong prayer. Let me illustrate as I close this morning. My youngest daughter, her name's Emma. She's 12. She'll be 13 in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure how that happened because just yesterday she was four. And um, I remember her at that age. And I remember that she used to love eating cereal for breakfast. And one of her favorites that she would ask for on a regular basis was rice pixies. Daddy, can I have some rice pixies? And I'm like, absolutely. There was nothing in me as a parent that wants to chastise or correct to say, Emma, you are asking incorrectly. They are Rice Krispies. No Rice Krispies from you until I hear you say it properly. With a K, Krispies. Now, she's 12 now. She's learned to read. And she can actually say Rice Krispies the correct way, which is really sad because I really miss when she used to ask for Rice Pixies. Because for me, it wasn't what she was asking for. It was my father's love for her. I loved at four, helping her make a bowl of Rice Pixies. And I still love at 12, helping her make some Rice Krispies. Because even though she was asking the wrong way, it was still a relational thing. And that's, that's our relationship with God. So if you're new to the idea of prayer this morning, please don't be overwhelmed. Please don't worry that you'll, you'll ask the wrong things. James gives us some great practical teaching on how we can pray. But the reality is this morning, when you understand that prayer is just spending time with your heavenly Father, and if you've got a, a story like I just told of a daughter who said Krispies, Pixies instead of Krispies, you'll know as dad how that felt. As a parent, you'll love your kids. That's all God wants. And as we grow older, and as we grow more mature as Christians, we learn our prayers change a little bit. Some of the things we used to ask for, we ask for differently now. Just like Emma learned to say Krispies instead of Pixies. But she wasn't wrong before because it was still a relational situation. So my hope and prayer this morning, as we close out this series, because I tell you what, when it comes to building the church, we would be crazy to attempt to build the church, to build our lives without the foundation of prayer. It's such an in, intricate part, an integral part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And if you're put off this morning because you're not sure if you're doing it right, you're not sure if your prayers are being answered, you're not sure, when you understand that prayer is just talking to your Father, spending time with a God who loves you so much. We sang a great song this morning about running to the Father. And it highlighted the reason that some of us feel like we can't run to the Father. And they're, they're all reasons that we put there. We feel like we've done too much wrong. We can't be. He just wants to be in our presence. And prayer is just pushing pause in our busy lives and spending time with the Father. I think a great way to finish this service would be to spend some time with the Father and pray. Father, we love you so much. 
We acknowledge that some of us this morning, when it comes to praying, we're still calling them rice pixies instead of rice krispies. But we know, Lord, that unlike that video where people were clearly not using the equipment in the gym the way it was designed to be used, there is no wrong way to pray when we acknowledge the fact that the goal of prayer is spending time with you. We do ask you, Lord, that as we continue to grow in our faith journey, that we will learn to understand you more, learn more about you. And as we do get to learn more about you and who you are, it will change the way we pray. Because we understand more that that you have our best interests in heart. And sometimes the prayers we are praying aren't the best prayers because actually we know you well enough to know what you're really trying to do in our lives. So Lord, I pray that we would, in our busy lives, find time just to spend time with you praying, knowing, Lord, just how much you love spending time with us. Thanks for this great series, Lord, and for all the great teachings that James has given us, Lord. I pray that you'll be with all my friends here in person and watching online. Bless them this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Great to see you. Have a great week.